I'm Jeff Hebert, and welcome to Gospel Wabi Sabi, where we explore God's good news for imperfect people. This is season one, episode 38 of this podcast, and we're are doing uh, going very deep into the Gospel of John, looking at how Jesus's words and actions announced and demonstrated himself to be God incarnate, God's Son, the Word made flesh, and the world's only hope for salvation. We're now into the last meal Jesus has with his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion in what is commonly called the Upper Room Discourse, a discourse meaning a longer section of Jesus speaking as recorded for us by the Gospel, or by the disciple John. And so for the next couple of podcasts, we're going to be focusing in on a topic that Jesus brings to the surface here that is really important for Christ's followers to understand. Who is the Holy Spirit? And what is the Spirit's role in our lives? So let's begin. We're going to read chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter or counselor to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You have heard me said, say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, For the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. What does it mean to be spiritual? If someone says, I'm a very spiritual person, you know, what do they really mean? Or when people say, I'm spiritual but not religious, what does that mean? You know, we live in a time of great spiritual interest, I think. People are seeking something more than just mere physical existence. Even if they reject traditional sources of spiritual guidance, like the Christian church, you know, of one shade or another, many people still self-identify that they are on a spiritual journey. We all have basic needs for food, shelter, security. But once met, we need more than that to be fully human. 
It's like eating plain pasta or plain white rice every day with nothing on it. It'll keep you alive, but it's a subsistence diet. But intuitively, we recognize that life is more than that. At least we need a little olive oil or a little sauce on it. There's got to be something more out there to satisfy this inner palate, some spiritual marinara sauce, some spiritual etouffee. The spiritual search is a search for something more in life, something beyond ourselves. And people realize we are more than just intellect and emotions. We have higher needs for meaning and purpose and love and how we fit into the world, into the universe. We want answers to the issues of life and death and suffering and eternity. There is a spiritual element that ties it all together. A great word that describes what we are looking for is the word transcendent. We are seeking the transcendent. We are experiencing glimpses of something more in a sunrise over the ocean and viewing the awesome wonders of the Grand Canyon and experiencing the incredible miracle of the birth of a child, a moment when you realize your life is a gift. That's when we begin to touch the transcendent. But that touch fades. That sense of something larger gets drowned out by the noise and static of daily routine. But the longing persists. And most people believe there is some kind of God, some kind of higher power in the universe. But then we're not so sure how to connect with that power, that God, or really what that God is like. But something is definitely out there. How do we bring spirituality into every day? Many combine the search for the spiritual with seeking release from stress, you know, looking for peace and calm and forgiveness and relaxation and meaning and comfort. And maybe they use yoga or other Eastern-influenced practices like meditation to try and touch or connect with that inner urge with the transcendent. We go to the spiritual side of life looking for answers. So again, what does it mean to be spiritual? More and more in our culture, people don't look for spiritual answers from the church. The church worldwide and here at home often has failed to do a good job communicating the spiritual realities that Jesus taught. Too much head, too much ritual, too formal, or people are soured on the church because of all the sexual scandals, the enmeshing of too much politics with the gospel, and that really confuses people and then turns them off. Others see the church as teaching only a system of ethics or morals, you know, just follow the rules. And that's not getting at people's real needs. Ultimately, the church is frequently too much like the rest of the world, and there's actually no significant observable difference between Christians and those who don't follow Christ. And so, so people say, not for me. I'm looking for a real experience that helps me make sense out of my life. So they seek it in other things, other mystical or spiritual traditions. And, you know, nowadays we can just pick and choose from a whole cafeteria of religious ideas. You can light a candle. Does that make me a spiritual person? Maybe when there's been some kind of a trauma and we're feeling sad. Maybe it's through places like Stonehenge or Sonoma. Maybe it's crystals or Native American dream catchers. Especially, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism in, a, in an Americanized way to take out all of the stuff that would maybe make us uncomfortable. Buddhism and Hinduism light. That's what America lights, you know, like yoga, fastest growing trend in fitness and health. Every YMCA in the country, advertisements everywhere, but most Americans don't really understand what they're getting into. I'm not against yoga as a form of exercise, but you need to be aware of many places where it's taught. It's taught as a spiritual philosophy. Or just note that every newspaper carries a horoscope for the day, and people may actually believe that the alignment of the stars 
is what guides their life. You know, Lyman Beecher was one of the most uh, famous preachers in the early 1800s. He was the father of Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote the famous uh, abolitionist novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Well, once uh, Lyman Beecher gave a series of excellent talks called Lectures on Atheism, and he offered this incredible insight. He says, and I quote, a lack of a proper faith in God doesn't mean people believe nothing. It means they will believe anything. Now, you remember the name of P.T. Barnum of circus and carnival fame? He was the ultimate huckster. He was always looking for a way to make another buck. He was the one who coined the phrase, there's a sucker born every minute. In his museum, Barnum replaced the exit sides with the phrase, this way to the egress. People didn't know what the egress was. and People would see it and they'd walk out the door into the alley thinking they were going to some exotic exhibit. And the door would lock behind them and they'd have to pay full admission to get back in again. We quickly realized there are a lot of false trails people follow while seeking a spiritual life. And it's easy to take a wrong turn. It's amazing what people will believe. They'll, they'll literally believe anything. Aliens, you know, all kinds of stuff. So there's so many counterfeits out there. And there's always a rise in spiritism and mysticism when there's any kind of revival of authentic Christianity. You can trace that throughout history. Dr. Loveless does that so well in many of his books. I'm afraid in a spiritual sense, there are many people who are going to be shocked to discover that the things that they've chosen to believe about the spiritual world are totally false. And unfortunately, they blindly walk through the exit door, through the egress, and then they're going to face God's judgment. Alternative approaches to the spiritual worlds have always paralleled the gospel all throughout history. That's nothing new. People have always been searching for a true spirituality. Jesus tells us that God has provided a means to connect with him in a vital and powerful way, a means to impact our daily lives, to help us experience God directly and personally, experience in reality his hope, his power, his joy, his peace. And that power is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So who is this Holy Spirit? This goes back again to some of the things we've already said about the nature of God and God revealing himself as a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is ultimately transcendent. God is so completely other, completely different in nature and power that we are, it's like an ant trying to use its minuscule brain power to understand a human being. We don't, don't even have the categories in our thinking to fully understand God's transcendent nature. We would have to be God to fully understand God. And that's one reason why there are so many different religions. They're all human attempts to try and come at that transcendence. And to a certain degree, they're all doomed to failure because of the limitations of human intellect. Now, the Bible teaches that God must take the initiative to self-disclose. Anything else is really a waste of time. God must reveal God's self. That's the only way possible to gain true knowledge of the spiritual. God must take the first step. God must make the first move to draw back the curtain of the transcendent and help us understand his own nature. Without his initiative, we are lost in the search to be spiritual. And so we believe the Bible to be the record of that self-revelation of God to his creatures. God has revealed himself as a trinity, one God who eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, not three different modes of God, but a God so vast that he has eternally existed in fellowship with himself in a dynamic unity with himself that can only be described in this way. 
The only way to get a handle on this unique unity is to understand God as a trinity of persons, one God who eternally exists with himself as three persons. Even the word person is inadequate, but there's just no better word to use in the English language. Though they are unique characteristics to each person of the Trinity, they are all fully equal in power and majesty and honor. So getting theological for a minute, this is where the great creeds of the church help bring definition to what the Bible teaches. These great historic statements where Christians came together, wrestled with these issues, and then came up with statements to help bring definition to the tenets of the faith. So that each generation doesn't have to start from scratch, as so many independent churches think that they have to do, like they're the first people to ever read the Bible or to think about this stuff. No, we've got a lot of history that we need to draw on. And statements about the Trinity are in virtually every confession, from the most well-known creeds like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and to the many others that maybe you haven't heard of. And I'd like to read from one of those less well-known creeds, the Second Helvetic confession written in the year 1561 AD. It was adopted by the Reformed Protestant churches uh, throughout Europe and Scotland. And here's one section on the nature of God from chapter 3 of the Second Helvetic Confession. God is one. We believe and teach that God is one in essence or nature, subsisting in himself, all-sufficient in himself, invisible, incorporeal, immense, eternal, creator of all things, both visible and invisible, the greatest good, living, quickening, and preserving all things, omnipotent and supremely wise, kind and merciful, just and true. God is three, notwithstanding we believe and teach that the same immense one and indivisible God is in person inseparably and without confusion distinguished as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thus there are not three gods, not but three persons, consubstantial, co-eternal, co-equal, distinct, and with respect to order, the one preceding the other, yet without any inequality. For according to the nature or essence, they are so joined together that they are one God, and the divine nature is common to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that's a lot to process, but you know what this means. It means Jesus didn't just come into existence on Christmas morning. He existed for all eternity in his pre-existence essence equal with the Father. Likewise, the Holy Spirit didn't just come into existence at Pentecost. The, 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 he, he has been God from all eternity, equal with the Father and the Son. We see one example of this unity of all three, the Father, Son, and Spirit, when they're seen active in creation. Go back to the very first sentence in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit. The Spirit is at work from verse 1 of Genesis 1. So the truth about the Holy Spirit is not some later addition to our theology. We also see Jesus in creation. St. Paul writes in Colossians 1.16, For by him, meaning Jesus, by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities, all things were created by him, and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We saw John the Gospel writer reflect this vital truth in the very first chapter of this gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. 
And then you drop down to verse uh, 11 or 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Jesus as the pre-existent second person of the Trinity is given credit for the actual creation of everything. And God the Father is also credited with creation. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest above. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his heavenly hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded, and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. You see, God the Father sat at the core of creation, all together in creation, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we read in Genesis 1.26 that his creator God says, Let us make man or humankind in our image. Well, who's God talking to? To the angels? No, because they don't bear the same image of God. No, he's talking to himself, really. We're given access to this internal conversation among the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit in this dynamic relationship. And we see this pattern repeated throughout Scripture. Here in chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or counselor or comforter to help you and to be with you the spirit of truth. But you see, Father, Son, and Spirit all together, all working in unison. Jump forward to John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You see again, Spirit, Jesus, Father, all together. They are not the same in terms of function, but yet they are of the same essence. For example, only Jesus physically went to the cross. But you know, the Father and the Spirit felt the nails as well, because they were of one essence. So let me wrap this up for us for this podcast, because the main job of the Holy Spirit is to connect the believer to the Father and the Son. Scripture tells us that when we place our lives in Christ's hands through faith in his work of salvation, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, for he lives with you and will be in you, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit actually dwells in us, takes up residence in our souls, and gives us spiritual birth. The Holy Spirit is what enlivens the heart. The Holy Spirit is what's given to all believers. The Spirit isn't reserved just for some special category of believer or for some second experience that happens you know, after you're saved. The Spirit is given fully to every believer. And yet, Scripture also says the Spirit can be ignored or squelched or squeezed or silenced by our disobedience, by our sin that kind of piles up to create a barrier between us and God. Not that we would ever lose our salvation, but that we through sin kind of turn the tap down and restrict the flow of the work of the Spirit in our hearts. That's why St. Paul so often encouraged believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit, like Ephesians 5.18. The original Greek word there means to be continuously filled. Renewal and release of the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis in our lives. And the result of that filling is a closer communion with God the Father, Son, and Spirit, a deep sense of calm, of joy, of peace, of clarity, of insight, understanding, not necessarily an intense emotional experience. Don't confuse emotion with the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Here's a quick list of blessings that we gain from the Holy Spirit. This list is from a book called Disciplines of the Holy Spirit by Xiang Yang Tan and Douglas Gregg. First, greater sense of intimacy with God. Power and boldness to witness for your Savior. Greater wisdom and faith. Deeper joy in living. Release of your spiritual gifts for ministry. Victory over sin and temptation. Effectiveness and power in prayer. Quiet confidence during times of trouble. Deeper trust in the scriptures as the word of God. Renewed energy for life. Fresh love for Christ and for others. Release from guilt and shame. Healing for emotions and memories. These are all things mentioned in the scriptures that come as a benefit of tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And how does this begin to happen? That's what we'll be looking at over the next couple of podcasts. But it begins simply by asking, seeking, knocking, asking, Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? God wants you to ask, and he wants to answer. So this week, ask for the Holy Spirit to be set free in your life. Let me pray. Dear Father, thank you for loving us, each one of us, and I want to yield to you every area of my life, including those areas where I've strayed. And I do so now, and I pray in the name of Jesus that you will fill me with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, that you will enable me today to become more like Jesus and to do what will glorify you, touch lives, and bring people closer to you. I commit to you all the events of this week and of this day, and I ask that you will glorify yourself through me, and doing so, draw me closer into your heart. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week.